I just started a Facebook literally last night because for this podcast, I wanted to get some social media going. Oh, so nice. I have a Twitter now. I have a I, Facebook. I saw I you followed us. I followed you back, didn't I? I don't know. I think I... I don't know how to... Did I? <laughs> I don't know how to <laughs> tell things um, on Twitter. You're, I keep such a, you're such a banjo player. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Keith Billick. Thank you so much for joining me for this, the first full episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode. It features a special guest. His name is Davy Jones, and he is the five-string banjo player for a band called Frontier Ruckus. Frontier Ruckus is an internationally touring folk rock band. They've been profiled in Rolling Stone magazine on NPR. They've performed at the Bonnaroo Music Festival and just way too many other places to even uh, begin to mention. So they're kind of a big deal. I've known Davey for a little while now, and we've always had a mutual respect and admiration for each other's banjo playing. So we've kept in touch, and it's always great to get together with him. He's a great guy. Uh, fun to talk to some banjo and just catch up in general. Before I do that, though, I do want to mention one real quick thing. I really value your feedback, whether it's a suggestion for a future episode or feedback, comments, questions about this episode. You can reach me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast.com at gmail.com or the website is banjopodcast.com and hopefully by the time you hear this I'll have links to all the social media stuff in case that applies to you as well but without further ado here it is episode number one of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast featuring Davy Jones of Frontier Ruckus Do you are you uh, Davy Jones or are you David Jones? I kind of I kind of go by either more more Davy I think let's do Davy okay yeah it's a little more familiar yeah <laughs> yeah you're instant friends um <laughs> so yeah you're Davy Jones you have toured the world playing your banjo I've with tried. your amazing band called Frontier Ruckus and yet yes. the most noteworthy part of your life is going to end up being this here tonight this you is are it. the first ever guest of the picky fingers banjo podcast <laughs> i'm honored it's man. going to be on your gravestone i really am episode number one your life really began on february 1st 2018 right here so i just hope i can live up to the pressure yeah That's it is terrifying. a lot me too man we'll we'll help each other out there's just gonna be thousands of people listening to this or right least, away at least tens me maybe tens yeah Tons of people might listen to I it. I might get. I'll, I think banjo. My banjo students will listen to it. Awesome. Um, I think. I think I'm going to require them to listen to if it. If I ever figure out how to use Twitter or Instagram, I'll try to let as many people know about it yeah. as possible. I'll let people know. Do you have any teenage banjo students that could help us out? Yeah, I actually have two right now. Awesome. Yeah, I rarely. I rarely have. It's mostly adults. Like it's pretty much all adults usually, and, yeah. and I currently have two teenager banjo students. Kids, they have the the brains that they just soak up everything. Yeah, well, then, the, then there's, I mean, there's kids that don't that don't take to it as well. Kids that just like don't that don't get into it because they're they're in, they've got so much other stuff going on. They're not interested in it really. But sometimes the like when you get the older folks who have just always wanted to play banjo, that's just all what they've always been about. Like in their head, like they knew that they're a banjo player. They just never did it. Those are the ones that like. That do great at it, I think, because they they get so they're, they're so excited to do it, and they they tend to work hard at it. I think deep down, most people are probably banjo players, even if they don't realize <laughs> it. 
there yeah i mean we just need to i wish to have them wise up i wish they all were cool so what's been going on man you're leaving on tour pretty soon tomorrow the next day something like that yeah saturday we're we're gonna be we're going out west for for three weeks and this is frontier ruckus by the way this is frontier that's the band that you play banjo in yes tell us a little about that um, it's sort of, it's sort of like a, it's it's not a very banjo-y band actually. I guess it used to be more of a banjo-y band back when like our first record came out. So are they just keeping you around to like be nice? I won't let them uh, fire me. They're too midwestern. They yeah, don't. They just, don't have it in themselves to. It's, it's just to do the I'm just stuck with it for whatever reason. <laughs> nice. No, like Matt, Matt and I. Matt's the guitar player and, and songwriter and singer. Um, we went to high school together. And that's around here, like around the, the Detroit yeah, area, it's, right? Yeah, it's like a private, like all boys. It's called Brother Rice. Sure. It's up in um, West Bloomfield. And we met in drama class, and we we just started talking about playing music. And I played banjo at the time, and he played guitar. And we just sort of bonded over that. We started playing bluegrass together. So we would we would sit on the, we would go busk in Birmingham, when we were like 17, 16 and 17. Now, for anyone who doesn't know the Detroit area of Michigan, Birmingham is like where the pro athletes live and the high end, like plastic surgeons live. Like so it's, it's, it's the, a wealthy, it's a wealthy area <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. It's, that it's, might, might, might be an understatement to just call it wealthy. So we would, we would sit and busk on the street in Birmingham and play to a, like, you know, a lot of, teenagers that were also down there just hanging out but also like drunk yuppies that would be downtown like just drunkenly throw us a 20 which we thought was the coolest thing yeah that's actually a really good strategy as uh strange as that is to to envision the dirty grubby teenagers playing their little bluegrass (laughs) for the for the wealthy folks that is a great strategy yeah they'll throw you a 20 hook hook them while they're drunk yeah that's what most of music is right i mean it's it's gotten me this far (laughs) uh so we did that a lot, and then we we played a few like coffee coffee shop open mics, um, just as a duo. Just as a duo. And what kind of material are we talking? Was he already writing songs at this he, point? He was already writing songs. It was it was still a lot of maybe not a lot of, but a decent amount of bluegrass covers. But he was he was writing songs, a little more bluegrassy songs. And then as time went on, um, he started to get more into this really um, just very hyper um, lyrical very songwriter focused very song focused sort of thing and i started to think about banjo in a slightly different way i started to think of it as more of a lyrical instrument that played parts and and i, th- I th- think i at that time i had started to hear a little bela fleck and started to think about single string style a little bit more mm-hmm. and and get into that and try to employ sort of simpler single string yeah, parts not just you know like rolling com- right through everything right and, and sort of composed parts um so 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 how did you even start doing that? Was that was bluegrass something you tried to get into but then out of necessity of playing with Matt you kind of just well, got I, got steered off the the right path and went into this deep <laughs> dark songwriter dark, based world, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've still always loved bluegrass and have played it here and there. And and when I started, I started when I was 12 um and I was taking lessons from this guy named Vince Sadovsky who's this amazing banjo player and teacher um, in Rochester. He, and I grew up in Rochester Hills. Okay. And he was in downtown Rochester, like five minutes from where I grew up. So I took lessons from him for, I think, seven years okay. or so. Um, and we we learned a lot of 
he taught me a lot of bluegrass, a lot of your standard traditional stuff. The roll like, patterns yeah, and the chord shape. Straight and, scrug style. Yeah. Um at first, of course, and then and then we got, you know, we started to get into a lot of melodic style stuff. And so he teach he's a great melodic style player too. But then he he's he's really um he's really diverse in his playing and his teaching. So we learned a lot of blues and a lot of like full chordal kind of stuff, you know. Okay. As opposed to just roles and and playing single strings at a time arpeggiations so he'll kind of cater to what you think you want to do rather than saying this is how it's done son and you gotta absolutely pick it like earl and right. nothing else is gonna he, he was great in that okay. way. yeah and, and and he he of course he really loved traditional bluegrass and, and all of that but he he was all about bringing banjo into a modern sort of setting yeah um excellent and so he he sort of introduced me to that way of thinking, which I'm endlessly grateful for. And yeah, it's it, weird it, how much that will take you. I don't want to like overstate it as some sort of super dilemma, but a lot of banjos, banjo players probably have this mindset of like, it's not even okay <laughs> if I try to do. Oh yeah, I'm that a I'm a scrug stuff. I'm right. a straight ahead scrugs person, or I, or you I can't do, do that on yeah. banjo, right? But it shouldn't it shouldn't at all be like that. I mean, the best. The best banjo players meld all three styles. If we're talking three styles, I guess. Yeah, right. You know, melodic, scrugs, and and single string. Sure. I, I think that's what most people sort of group the umbrella of three finger style into those three. That's those, yeah. Those three sort of. I would. Yeah. I guess there could be. You could you could add a what'd you say a fourth for like the chordal kind of like bluesy stuff. Like the more swingy things? Yeah, show show me what you're talking about. Yeah, I think of like a blues song, and this is a a Vince arrangement. Right? Yeah. Very chord melody kind of stuff. Right, chord melody. I don't... Yeah, in terms of uh, trying to find a category for it, I don't consider that being too much different than like some of the more boogie-woogie stuff that even Scruggs would do. Sure. Oh, you, yeah, um, you're totally right. Kind of like um, a Foggy Mountain special sort of. Yeah. yeah that, that was a little more single string, but yeah, I, see, I totally see what you mean. Even even back some, some backup stuff. That, exactly. that yeah, those, totally. Totally. Those people did. But yeah, the more the more people try to advance the instrument the less those lines really make right. sense right. and half the time you're doing multiples at the same time and and, just, and it is what it is you're and, just playing what needs to be played what's, yeah, what what sounds sure. good which is something i always describe to students like they when when we when we do the first few lessons and i teach the roll patterns because that's where i always start and just start with just the just the right hand and we talk about roll patterns and i say well this is where this is going we're gonna play pick this thing up again we're gonna we're gonna play these roll patterns and then we're going to put a melody in the roll pattern, right? And mm-hmm. That's like the first song I teach everyone, sure. you know. And that's a simple example of Scrug style, and we add in the... The hammer-ons and pull-offs, the little left hand. Trying to get all the accents the for the melody shirts. notes while you also have the rolls going on. Right. Yeah. And And they say, oh, okay, so that's... This is the role, so I just need to know these roles. And I'll say, well, 
it's it's going to go a little further than that because at, at some point we're going to we're going to talk about melodic style where we're not necessarily playing roles we're just playing the notes that need to be played i guess is the way i would describe it you but know? that is kind of something that i tell a lot of people when they ask me you know for example is banjo harder to learn than guitar and i'll say well it is pretty tricky to learn the roles but it it's kind of amazing how much and how musical you can sound just with a handful of roles and a right. few chord shapes like right it, it sounds musical pretty quickly once you get to that basic plateau for sure. of getting your fingers oh, under you i mean so when i play that song for people and i say we're going to do that next week that's because you're going to be ready there because i start with rolls and then sometimes i'll go okay here's a d7 and a c right and then your your goal this week is to just play the rolls and get a smooth chord change right and then next week we'll do the we'll do this song add and, something in there yeah. and it's like i'm gonna be able i can play that like, yeah this yeah. soon it can sound that cool for sure well, yeah, I mean, like, hopefully it can sound that cool that soon, but... If you practice. If you practice. So the, then back to your your band that you're in. Yeah, um, sorry. I was, I was listening to you guys' most recent thing just recently, and the, what we've just been talking about, how you don't feel like you need to approach everything like a, a, you know, a bunch of Scruggs rolls barreling down at you. I know there's one song, maybe it's a second or third, that's kind of more of an upbeat, shuffly thing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I have a very good intuition that if I was in a band and that song was presented to me, it would be tough for me to resist the temptation to, yeah, just roll just right roll through it, it and up. do my thing and you know, yeah. think of something cool. But you kind of do more of like a, almost like a horn line. It's like a kind of more of call and response. I want to say you're even playing with like a plucked violin. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, Am that's I probably that right? the song Positively Freaking. Where okay, I'm, I'm playing some har- just some straight harmony single notes with the plucked violin. sort of fun to, sh- to show that restraint sometimes or to try to just rest- restrain it and if it's this if it's the song i'm thinking about i think i'm actually a lot of I'm, i am actually really rolling a lot through that but i'm playing that electric banjo so okay. you don't really hear it you hear like some kind of honky-tonk guitar maybe okay it sounds like chicken picking yep and it's just me I, playing I was going to ask that, actually. I, yeah. I figured that might be the case, but so, so there is you guys some use of a lot there. of kooky instruments. You know, there's saws and trumpets Saw and, and weird trumpet, keyboard yeah. patches that, you know, yeah. kind of sound yeah. it's, ethereal. It's very, much, it's very much, you know, sort of indie folk or indie rock even sometimes. Yeah, like as a point of reference, I, I usually think of like the Decemberists or Wilco or something yeah. like that. Like cool. something pretty pretty lyrical, but... The cool thing about those bands and the cool thing about your band is that everyone seems to know that you're playing the song. Right. And it's not... Yeah, it's, it's about elevating yeah. the song with, with what you do. It's not necessarily about showcasing your ability to play a ripping yeah. lick, you know? Definitely. But that's so is that sometimes. something that you... Right. <laughs> but is that something you do intentionally to challenge yourself? Like, hey, I could do Scruggs rolls here and I'm deciding not to. Or sometimes, it- yeah. And sometimes... Sometimes it's like this this song doesn't need to sound bluegrassy. Like I don't know if I want this song to sound bluegrassy. Like I 
maybe want it to be a little more um a little more indie, I guess. There are times and and I'm getting getting away. I think we're all getting away from this as a band now, but like a couple records ago, maybe last record where we were almost like ashamed at how we were like a rootsy band. And I feel like a lot of bands sort of go Why through is that? that. Why were you ashamed of that? I don't know, it's just it's sort of uncool in a way. Is it cliché at this point? Maybe. Maybe it's cliché. Maybe we just wanted to be the cool kids playing in the cool indie the cool indie rooms and on the cool indie labels. Yeah, yeah. But we're we're not and and we won't be, which is fine. But I think it, we're at we're at a point now where we're going to start recording our sixth record and we're just going to make it rootsy again. Okay. And just, you know, make it folksy again. So more um, acoustic banjo than more acoustic banjo, electric banjo or I, effects. I don't know if there's going to be any electric banjo. Maybe like a tiny bit. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, more acoustic guitar, more acoustic instruments in general. Whereas we were going to a lot of like keyboards and synths, we might move back a little bit more towards uh, more acoustic m- melodica and and more saw. But just that. kind of again, whatever whatever suits the song is right. There are little rootsier songs too, yeah. And I think we might do some lighter, sort of brush-oriented drums stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, maybe not like real full kit with 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 sticks, but it's something we're thinking about. We've, I mean, Matt Matt has had twenty songs written since the last record came out. Like he he's constantly writing. He's a madman. He, he just yeah. he just recorded our solo record too of another ten completely separate <laughs> songs. Like he's always writing. And they're all good songs. He's, he's and he just, just kind of groups which ones he thinks are going to suit the band and which ones yeah. he wants to shelf for whatever reason. Or Well, this is his first – the solo record he made was his first time recording anything. Well, no, not his first time recording anything solo, but his first time specifically making a solo record. Right. He just kind of decided like these ones are mine. The best ones yeah. to do for – yeah, right. Yeah. Not, not like in a selfish way, but these ones are – I'm just going to do these on yeah. my own. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they didn't necessarily sound like Frontier Ruckus songs. So So you guys use all sorts of goofy instruments on stage and stuff. So how do you manage that as a banjo player? Because it's just playing out with acoustic instruments, especially in places that aren't necessarily like quiet listening rooms. It's tough. It's just a constant struggle, um, especially if you care anything about having like a natural acoustic tone. So what uh what's your recipe there for so I've battling got, those? And you can kind of see it under my bridge. It's a pick up the world. Yeah. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, I own one. And it's a it's a really um it's a really simple passive pickup. It's like this mesh polymer that sticks on the underside of the head. Yeah. Uh, right under the bridge. And it's it's pretty low output, but I and it's a pretty natural sound and it's relatively feedback resistant. It's okay. Um, but I go into a, um, I have a California blonde amp, yeah, which is a, a nice sort of big, really clean, warm acoustic yeah, amp, acoustic oriented amp, right. which is a really nice amp for, for banjo. And then I run in the effects loop of the amp, I run a 30 band EQ, like a rack mount, okay. uh, EQ and I can just, and that's mostly just for feedback control. Okay. So my, is that something that gives you trouble most of the time or? Yeah. Yeah, so my mid ranges are generally pretty wonky, like four, two, four hundred, two hundred, four hundred, eight hundred. You know those multiples. The whole series, yeah. yeah. Those are rough. Sometimes there's some weird stuff at a thousand. Depends on the room. 
Because every sure. room has different resonant frequencies. And where the monitors are and all that exactly. business. Yeah. So every time, every night I plug in and I flatten it out, um, I leave a little bit of a curve. Like I leave some some bass up and some treble up. And then I play and I see what it sounds like. And, you know, Just I try out. to get it to suck as little as possible, yeah. right? Because I've got – usually I've got a, f- a full drum kit and a bass player and – yeah, that can be a nightmare, man. How you describe the pick up the world, that's that's exactly what we're all looking for. You're like, it's pretty natural, doesn't feedback too much, and like that that's what you have to deal with. You're yeah. you're balancing the least bad of all banjo worlds, players out man. there, you will spend years figuring this out. Yeah. Most and, likely. And the way that you will finally solve it is to just go back and play completely acoustic when you've had <laughs> just, had it up to your ears with all of it. Because the issue is, the issue is when, whenever you amplify this instrument, the entire head, sorry, I keep like pointing at my banjo like anyone can see me. The entire <laughs> it head. Needs to, it needs to feel included. Yeah. This is, yeah. It feels lonely. I'm not touching it. The, the entire you, head you becomes a, okay. Okay. Yeah. the entire yeah. head becomes a microphone, right? Because you've got this, in, this enormous diaphragm, this huge drum, drum head that's vibrating. And everything hits it and makes it vibrate more. At least that's my understanding of why. Well, that's the irony is like the, the banjos that sound best are the ones that are going to really vibrate when they, when they have energy put into them. Right. So the more efficient they are at doing that, the more, the more they're they going to give you And yeah, something I've run across too is if you're playing into a microphone, the surface of the head actually, you know, say you have a monitor pointed up toward you that sound can bounce off your banjo and right back into the right. to the microphone. So you could have everything all set up, but as soon as you step up, it's it's just a big reflective surface changes, um, right in front of you. And it changes from sound check to the actual show of course, when people get yeah. in the room. And then Can't be easy. Even positioning of your bandmates. So sometimes I notice if I'm in the right place and Matt is in the right place because I stand directly to the right of Matt, mm-hmm. if we're at the right angle – the sound goes from my amp and bounces off his back and goes right into my Oh, banjo. my God, yeah. So it's like this huge, this huge nightmare. Well, if nothing else, then you just need to, to play it off in a way that everyone just thinks you're doing cool dance moves. You're, you're actually just trying to constantly <laughs> dodge feedback yeah. while you're writhing around. Or you're, to... like, you're, you're using the feedback for, for good. Ooh, you're getting yeah. like long, sustained Even notes. Yeah. Those like B-flats that just, that just ring out when you fret it. <laughs> Had that too. People love that. So, what's your what's your pickup situation? Whenever possible, which is like ninety five percent of the time, I can use a microphone. My oh, nice. my playing situations very seldom involve amps or drums. Mm-hmm. So even at kind of louder places, <clears throat> brew pubs, uh, right? Clubs, You're playing with a bluegrass whatever. band. And- it's still acoustic, which means the stage volume is still manageable enough that I can that I can mic it and I kind of have this um thing that evolves over years you kind of rig up a system I have this um I think it's an Audix product it's called a I want to say a D clamp it's something that they sell for like congas where it clamps a a microphone onto right. um I've seen those, like yeah. one of the tension hooks of the drum and I I've kind of modified it to to hook onto the banjo so then you can clip any microphone you want onto it i have like a little audio technica condenser but really you could choose whatever microphone you want to put on the end of that little gooseneck thing yeah and it's kind of a sensitive mic it would normally probably cause problems but the banjo has enough volume that when you got it mic'd that closely with the clip on i i don't usually have trouble with it if i need to go pick up i have a uh a k and k yeah which um I'm really happy with the pickup sound of it. It does screw with the acoustic tone. 
Right. So it's kind of one of these things where I always have to have a roll of double stick tape in my case and I tear the thing back out as soon as I'm done using it because because right. um, it, it kind of kills it the acoustic tone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I sort of have the same issue with this thing because it's right under the bridge. So it's, it's you know... It's going to do something. It's just it's a matter gonna, of how much, yeah. It does a little bit and I definitely notice it. I definitely notice a little bit of a little bit less response, um, a little bit less of an kinda, open yeah, sound. Right. Um, I used to, years ago, I used to use a, a Fishman Rare Earth, um, and that was pretty. That was pretty good. I, I I liked it, but I really had to. I had to stuff the head with a, with like a t-shirt. Like that was, yeah. you know. And that's the thing that people do, but that completely kills the acoustic feel and sound of the instrument. Obviously, yeah. And it and I think it actually like actually a negative thing for my playing because I had to, I had to play through some really like unresponsive dead strings. So oh, I had to you're kind of overdoing it, yeah. Um, and I, I think I've like conditioned myself to be a little less relaxed than I should be because all those years playing with that thing and playing with a loud band in general, where I really have to dig in has made me less of a, like a relaxed, like, you know, just kind of like sacrificing a little bit of technique, econo- a little bit economy of, feel. of movement. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I've, that's a good I've, point. I've spent some time like trying to, trying to fix that recently trying to you know sit down with the metronome and just make sure that my my pick strokes are as small and as close to the strings as possible yeah you're not uh tapping on the head with the thumb pick and all that business yeah because the best banjo players that you see play these amazing incredibly fast accurate rolls and there's all this amazing sound coming out of the instrument and it looks like their right hand is barely moving yeah that's because because it is right Right. barely moving that's the key to, to being you know to being the the best or just being even really good at the instrument yeah it's just this like incredible economy of motion yeah might as well give yourself the best chance you can right so going back to your your playing style when you're trying to come up with these horn lines as opposed to just doing bluegrass rolls who do you are there people who you think of as like your influences are there banjo players that you try to sound like are there guitar players that you try to sound like or is there you try to evoke certain certain other bands or styles how does that work out for you? Because there's not really too many banjo players that find themselves in the even a similar right. role that you are in. It's funny when I when we were starting out when Matt started writing more lyrical songs and and he had, sort of had the sound in his head and, and told it to me. It's a it's a really weird connection, but there's this band. You remember Iron and Wine? You know that band? Sure. Yeah. It's it's just a guy, right? It's a guy, yeah. I think mostly or he plays just with his a, sister sometimes. His sister, and there's a there's a guy who plays guitar and maybe banjo too. So there are these okay. like really simple, like really effective, and it's a strange parallel for someone who came from a bluegrass background because I had never heard anything like it. I was like, what What are you talking <laughs> about? You want me to play like a half note? Right. <laughs> I've never done that before. But there's really simple but effective, sort of powerful banjo lines that were kind of single string. And it's not something I think about much anymore. But when I think back on that time, there's a there's a few banjo lines that exist from the first record that still are kind of in that zone, right? Just really okay. simple, spare, kind of effective, kind of lyrical parts. And then, of course, Bela changed the way that I thought about the instrument. I feel yeah. like Bela is to maybe our generation of banjo player as Earl was to Bela's generation. Yeah, in, in a way, you know, like I I knew a lot of I knew a lot about or I was exposed to a lot of bluegrass 
when I was growing up, and then I'd heard Bela, and, and it was, sorry, I just hit that mic. That's all right. And I heard Bela, and it just, like, all went out the window, in a way. Right. Yeah, you don't even realize that and that's possible. Right. So he he definitely influenced me. And then there's, there's, there's people like John Hartford, yeah. who, John Hartford has this incredibly melodic, strange, idiosyncratic style of playing. And also, I think very, very lyrical, but but fast and, and melodic and, and bluegrass based in a way too. Yeah, definitely uh, very also, a personal style to him. Right, and he and he, but he wrote amazing songs mm-hmm. and and had these really cool banjo parts to it. There, there's this there's this like eight minute recording. I'm sure I'm sure he wrote it. It's called Foggy Mountain Landscape. Okay, have that, you, you haven't heard that? It's a it's a John Hertford song, and it's like an eight minute like wandering like really melancholy just beautiful piece of music and it's all just him playing banjo i think there's some mandolin chops underneath and he also does this crazy he does he does some tuning but he's not using keith tuners okay so he's he's, he's just, just tuning and he goes way down it. yeah he goes the fourth the fourth string and goes way down to like a b flat or like something crazy you know okay. and it goes back up like he's just doing it all now by is ear. this his banjo that was low tuned to begin with because he played out of like an open e yeah pretty regularly yeah anyway. i don't know if it was okay i don't know if it was that but anyway banjo. he was getting all squirrely and yeah getting crazy yeah. with the sooners um and it's stuff like that that like i don't think i've ever really like come close to emulating something of that like striking beauty with my playing but i think about that a lot and it's like something i would love to accomplish so like it, something that's that's slower and and i keep saying this word lyrical but it has this like a it has a progression to it that's that's really narrative almost in the way the in the way that it happens and, and it's almost classical and it, and its sense of flow Talking about landscape, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. it's almost, almost like it has movements to it, and it takes you on this yeah journey. No, yeah. no, he, he calls it Foggy Mountain Landscape. Is he actually using motifs from Earl Scruggs tunes, or is that just sort of what he? I don't think he is. Okay, we should find it and listen yeah. to it. Yeah, we'll have to find it. Um, I I heard it because it was on a uh, it was on a CD from a book that my dad bought me when I was a kid. Okay, I th- um, so, so it's, it's like one of that, those. Stuff like that. If you're if you're anything like me, I've found that yeah, you really notice these certain cool things that certain players do, and almost any good musician, you'll you'll have certain things that you can notice about what they're doing, and they kind of just get filed away in your brain. Yeah, and you know you sort of just have these bookmarks in your brain of like this would be a cool idea, this would be a cool idea, and all these cool ideas, and just with enough experience, you can finally be confronted with a song or a situation where you're. This is where I need to utilize this, this cool thing yeah. that I've wanted to try Absolutely. for a long time. This is the place to do it. Yeah. And uh it's cool. And that's that's the beauty of where you can see all your influences coming out. And if you have enough influences, it ends up being just your own style. But right. someone like you could listen to anything you've ever recorded and be like, Yep, that lick I was uh came from there. I was thinking about this guy. Yeah. I was thinking about this technique that I learned from this person. Right. And it's, um, it's that's not the all, really cool thing. It's definitely not all coming from banjo players, of course. And yeah, that, right. And then a lot of it comes from my my bandmates too, who have, you know, brilliant melodic ideas and, you know, have ideas for for my playing or why don't you try this or this. So, do they give you a lot of direction? I think I think we're we're sort of at a point now where we well, we definitely work together on the arrangements because Matt writes the songs, and then we we come together and we arrange it together, and we we sort of 
finalize it and get it to gel together. And we talk, we talk with each other about what we, what we've heard in the song and right. what we think would be a good idea for the other. It's a super collaborative process. And then we try to also be open when something isn't working, you know, yeah. which is the hardest fucking thing in the world. Especially if it's your idea that yeah, and you're like, is now I sp- not working I and like, you have to swallow your pride a bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of this dance. It's this delicate balance that you have to, to achieve. Yeah. That's where, that's where egos end up taking out a lot of bands. You know, people, people take it personally if the band doesn't want to do their idea or something. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's not always personal. It's just uh, you got to trust your bandmates that if they're all telling you that your idea sucks, it, it might actually suck. It might suck. It might suck. It probably does, yeah. We, it sucks that it sucks, but <laughs> it doesn't change it. We're, we're super lucky that we're all good friends after, after this long. It's been, I mean, Matt and I have known each other since we were 16. And we're still got to have a little like dirt to. I've to got toss all, all sorts of dirt. Oh man! But I'm not going to toss it right now. Oh, dang it. No, we're like we're like brothers. We're like needed some blackmail material here. <laughs> well, we'll turn the mics off. I'll, I'll throw a little. Okay. Away. All right. Um, all right. Yeah. Turning them off right now. <laughs> yeah. Turn them off. Uh, so let's talk more banjo stuff. You, yeah, so when we, we were kind of like texting back and forth about some ideas to talk about, and you kind of mentioned how you're, you seem like you're at least basically a tinkerer. Like you've been through, I don't know, you like tinkering with bridges and pick angles. And yeah. like, so, so tell me about your journey and the instrument that you have and how you decided on, on this instrument and what other components have gone into that that you've um, come up with. So I've, ha- I've had this banjo since i was 14 actually okay. this is this is my first real banjo no so kidding i started started when i was 12 on like a, a garage sale banjo that my mom i think bought me for 60 bucks and i started taking lessons it's a typical beater kind of thing typical yeah sort of typical story there and then it it was pretty obvious after a couple of years that i was really into it and i was going to do it and my my dad is this sort of awesome dude who's like well if i'm going to buy him a banjo i'm going to buy him a good one. Like I'm going to buy him something nice. Yeah. All right. Um, so Vince who taught me played an ohm, play, still plays an ohm, has a really amazing, you know, they make like these incredible works of art. Yeah. They can get banjo. pretty ornate. Um, but he also sold ohms. So this one was in the shop and, and my, my dad bought it for me. Um, and I remember that that week. So, so tell us what this is. I don't think we've even yeah. said what, what so, is this instrument? So this is an ohm uh, monarch. Okay. Megatone. Actually, it's it used to be a monarch. This is the second neck that's been on it. Okay. Um, did something happen? Did you break it? I I didn't break it, but there was the thing, and they they replaced the neck. And okay. I don't I don't need to get into it. On, Fine. Yeah. yeah I've needed been, a new. I've neck. been sworn to secrecy. All right. Um, but they're they're awesome people. They re, they replaced the neck, and so this is the second neck on it. I mean, I think it's a it's a juniper style neck, so it's it's a really incredible, like really beautiful abalone inlay. It's it's super um, sort of asymmetrical and and unique and, and cool. I really like their their inlay work. Yeah, like visually, it's got just sort of the perfect balance between fancy but not like gaudy or right. glitzy or, or right. It's still tasteful. overdone. Yeah, totally cool. Now, is that I can't see it from here. Is that a a maple neck. It's what? mahogany. Mahogany. Yes, yeah, mahogany um, body and neck. Um, no, I assume when you were fourteen, that's nothing that you 
I had like, no idea. cared about or whatever. It just happened to be. I like had no that idea. One. Yeah, that was yeah. the banjo. Um, I think I, I think my dad had the option between the this is nickel plated or chrome plated, which the chrome stays shinier over the years. This yeah. one's nickel, but it doesn't really matter. I think it looks better when it's a little grungier yeah, looking. Put some miles on it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has some miles on it. I've got a, I've got a Renaissance head on it, which is a, a real warm, sort of open-sounding head. Yeah, those are cool. Um, which, before I had a, the standard frosted head on it, I can't remember what it was. I've got a, I've got a cat eyes bridge on it. You ever get into those? I, I have one on mine right now. Nice, yeah, yeah they're nice. I, yeah, it's really cool. I, I sort of have a tough time telling the difference between a $20 bridge and a $50 bridge. Like... It's one of those Maybe. things that once you get to a certain level, it's it's right. just your preference. There's a pretty clear difference between a three dollar bridge and, and a twenty, and just about any yeah, of the twenty. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Um, so that's a that's a like a H maple and ebony top. Now, have you since developed like somewhat of a relationship with Ohm? Like they're aware of you, right? Have, and what yeah. you're doing with their instruments. Technically, and, one of their artists. Um, they're. And they're they're fans. They come to shows when I'm in the yeah, area. Awesome. I bought another banjo from them. I bought a um, this clawhammer banjo. It's a uh, juniper. It's a 12 inch pot. Also a Renaissance head. Mm-hmm. It's got a scoop neck and it's cherry, which is super cool. Yeah. So it's really warm and really pretty. Nice and mellow. And it, right. It's a really it's a really simple looking banjo, but it's everything they make is incredible. Yeah, I'm, high quality. I'm always really impressed with and so with what they do. So you've had that since you were 14. Is that still, I mean, you're apparently still happy with it. It's kind of shocking that, yeah, after all these years, you wouldn't have. I love it. I love it. I mean, sometimes it, sometimes I feel like it's a little on the quieter side and maybe sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a little sharper than I would like it to be. Um, sometimes I would want a, a little bit more of a round, r- kind of round sounding banjo, but it's still warm. And I think my, my playing style and the way that I play it, my tone in general is a little warmer, hopefully. You play closer to the neck typically? Generally than... closer to the neck. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm rarely down by the bridge where it's percussive and, and tinny. I, I never have liked that, right. that feeling or that sound. And yeah, I mean, if, if, if all goes well, I will have this banjo. Until the day I die. Yeah, Cause, that's awesome. Because I, I, love, I love this thing, and it's what I started on. And my dad bought it for me, and it's an incredible instrument, and it's just like... Been with you through a lot. Yeah, and yeah. It, I've played thousands of shows with that thing. So even if I... I would love to get another Ohm someday, or I, like a, I really like Neckvilles. I'd love to try one of those. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'll always play this thing. That's a really um, underrated kind of kind of blessing because a lot of people don't have that peace of mind with their with their main instrument. They always feel like they're searching for that next thing. Sure, um, and it can be yeah, yeah, kind, it, kind of anxiety uh, inducing. I'd love to. So it's nice that you're just happy with it and uh, can concentrate on using the thing. I would, yeah. I mean, again, I'd love to to get another one or, or two. You know. One one of these days when I can afford it. Do you ever get into any of the like pre-war stuff? Are, are you are you into any of that? I've played uh, them. I've never played one that really blew my mind for ten thousand dollars, though. Yeah. I would love to play like an old Top Tension, like RB Seven yeah, yeah. or something, because those are like that would be my dream band. Those yeah. are the, the the warmest of the warm. Yeah, they're very cool. And that 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 Gnome Pikelny sound. Something that probably neither of us will ever own, but hey, we can. Uh, yeah, we can it'd be nice. Talk about it and dream about it. Um, 
So yeah, this thing's been with you everywhere. Tell us real quick, where have you been in this world? You guys have toured internationally. I know you've been all over Europe, all over the U.S., obviously. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much... Do you have like favorite places that you've been or... Anywhere so, that you like, were surprised at the the response of the yeah. of the audience, where you didn't know you had a fan base, but you I mean, apparently did. I feel, I feel like every time we're in we're in Europe and there's anyone there, we're, we're kind <laughs> of pleasantly like, shocked. How, how the hell did this happen? Like yeah. this makes no sense. Like, but you know, like we 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 do well in some cities, and and we do well in London, and like strangely enough, we do well in Germany, okay. which I I absolutely love Germany. For for whatever reason, I just think the the people are really friendly, and I just like all all of the cities, and and I enjoy the food, and I just like playing shows there. Places like Switzerland are outrageously almost too gorgeous. Right, like it feels like you're in you're on a postcard. Yeah, you, you, yeah, it's just not real. It makes no sense <laughs> that people live in this place that's like so perfectly beautiful. Yep. So it's just it's just a really lucky thing and sort of mind blowing to get to get to do that. Um, do you enjoy to touring in general? Is that something that you yeah, look forward to? Or? Yeah, as long as there's a balance. Because okay. like, in like 2010, 2009, 2010 and 11, we were doing like 200-something shows a year. Wow, yeah. Which is what you do when you're sort of starting out. Paying your dues. But we do, we do less now. Okay. So like doing a three-week run and then being home for a few months is, is good. Okay, so you do that, and then you, because this is your your living, right? You mm-hmm. do that, and then you teach. Do you have I any teach. other things that you're involved with? Any other different projects? Or my main thing when I'm home is teaching. Okay, I've been trying to get more into just other gigs. I would love to do some bluegrass gigs, yeah. and just like, or we should do like a classical banjo yeah, we've, gig. Yeah, we were we've, looking forward to renting the tuxes. We flirted yeah. with it just a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll rent some tuxes. Yeah, I mean the tuxes are the main part. the The music will doesn't matter. It'll it's come, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll just <laughs> we'll just yeah we'll just vamp for an hour in tuxes. Cool. Uh, I recently did a. Uh, this is a really cool thing. I was a part of it. I recently did a. Um, I was in a theater production at the not like as a as a cast member, but sort of in the pit as a playing banjo in this production at the Arab American Museum. Ooh, um, awesome! And so it was a it was a play that about Dearborn? it was in Dearborn. Okay. Yeah, it's a play about a um, a Syrian immigrant in the early 1900s who moves to the American South, which is sort of my exact family's history. I'm, really? I'm half Lebanese. Okay, um, yeah, I could Syrian tell. By Jones Lebanese. is definitely. I, I could tell. Super, he had some yeah, there's so many Joneses ethnic, over there. Right. <laughs> That's my mom's side, even though her name her name they changed it to Joseph when they when they got over here. Okay, but um. It was it was me and this really amazing oud player or oud who um, this oud player who wrote the music and uh, his brother who's an Arabic percussionist. Wow! Um, played the tak. I think that's what it's called. It's terrible that I don't know it. And uh, a, a vibraphone player and a cello player. This sounds fantastic. It's, it was so cool. It was one of the I best wish things. I saw I've it. Ever... You're not doing any more production to that. Well. They, the theater company was out in New York, so they came to Dearborn to do this production, and they're in like pre-production phase, where hopefully they go into actual production in New York, um, uh, you know, Broadway or off Broadway. You think you'll be the man to uh, get called for that? I but, really hope so. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would be so happy to do that. So but, how the heck? So, sorry, go ahead. But his idea was 
he was melding sort of the old world Arabic music with the new world banjo music. Southern America. Okay. That that um, actually answers the question. I was saying, okay, I, I get the theme, but how, yeah. how, did, yeah, how does the just, banjo he fit just, into that? He just conceived of, of there being banjo and, uh, and oud. And, and cello is just a... A man a, after our own hearts, right? I know. Yeah. And he, this dude is so... His name is Hadi Eldebeck. He's an amazing oud player. All the musicians were incredible. I got to learn some Iraqi scales, some 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 quarter tone stuff. I've I've messed around with. Show me. Did, well, can, is this something you can the pull off tone, right now? I can't play the quarter tone stuff anymore, but um, I've messed around with the uh, like the double harmonic scale. Do you know that one? It's a it's a major scale, but it sounds. So yeah. it's the. So I learned that maybe a year or two years ago. Um, I was playing with this guy named Ross Huff, who's a trumpet player in, yeah, in, this, in this little yeah. band. Um, and he always covers Miserlou, which is... Uh, the surf tune? Uh, I got to remember it. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, it's the one that, like, Dick Dale made famous or something. That's right. the same scale. That's the same scale. So okay. I got into that scale because it actually fits really well with melodic style banjo because you've got a... You just have a flat a flat two, which is a G. Right. G, A flat, flat two, B, C, D, flat six, E flat. But then the natural then major yeah. seventh, right? Well, you can play it two ways. You can play it with yeah, the flat natural, but... seventh. You can play with uh, the, the natural, the natural seven, yeah. or the, or sorry, the flat seven. What it would naturally be for the major scale, yeah. The, yeah. Or the flat, which is a little more, I think, Jewish leaning. If you play it that okay. way, it's a little more of a gypsy scale. Or but, but putting that F sharp kind of yeah, a little more Arabic. And then, I, so I started taking that, and and uh, this is one thing I love to do um, that I don't know if many people have done. Um, I started taking that and and sort of putting fiddle tunes into that scale. Ooh. So like. Uh, Some big scayota. Right? And it's all in I love that stuff, yeah. G major. The chord structure of it's a little you gotta a little weird. Adjust it a little bit. Yeah, your five is like a is like a sharp one. Because the actual yeah. chord progression of it is one, five, one, one to four. So you change it for that to be. It's a minor four. Minor. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a really weird sort of thing. I've been thinking about doing more in that. Um, Red haired boy.
So as if I didn't have enough sort of, to sort of uh, work on already, now I just need to go home and <laughs> transpose all the fiddle tunes I know and put into there. whatever you call that, double harmonic scales? Uh, double harmonic. Oh, okay. uh, Gold Rush is cool, too. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. That's totally cool. I can, I can, I, I, I can tab I love, that out for yeah. listeners, too. Watch what you uh, watch what you're offering there, big I'm, guy. I'm happy to. I love tabbing stuff out. All right. So all that said, man, what you teach a lot, you play a lot. Do you have what kind of advice do you have? What's like the secret to what nuggets of wisdom do you have to offer us that you have discovered over your many years of of Thank banjoing? God. It's so difficult. I guess I guess so much of, of of playing banjo and playing any any music well really just boils down to sort of getting out of your head and, and relaxing and playing music, you know, like you're, like you're playing music and not, not just playing notes on a page or numbers on a page, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I always, I always talk about. Like you need to, if you're, if you're truly going to play music, you just you, you need to relax as, as much as possible, um, which is something that I'm always fighting because I think all of us are always fighting that, right? We're always trying to to maintain that that relaxation that that lets us have that most most economy of movement possible. And yeah, the rare moments where I I would say that I'm in the zone is a moment in which I can hear the group that I'm playing with almost as if I were a listener, right? And I can almost <clears throat> simultaneously think this is what the banjo should do in this group. Yeah, and and, and somehow my body with those thoughts going through my mind knows how to you're th- actually make that happen. You're you're almost thinking I don't know how however many measures or how long ahead, right? You're right. you're working in anticipation of what you're doing and yeah. you're sort of out of body. You're 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 playing music but you're also you're also in your head in a way that that you're disconnected from your body and your body is relaxed and your mind is working ahead. Yeah, it really tends sense. to come down to to listening. I found yeah. if you can concentrate on hearing how what you are doing is weaving into the overall fabric of sound that, right. the, that the group is making, that will serve you very well. And, and that's I, I definitely tell my students that a lot. Whether whether they're just whether just they're just starting out and playing to a metronome, or whether we're playing together and I'm playing guitar with them, sometimes I just have to stop and say, just listen. Make sure you're listening because you're not listening. You're you're totally in what you're doing. You're thinking too much, and you're not listening. Yeah, um, and it's easier said than done, of course. Of, but. of course, yeah. Everything that that you tell someone as a teacher is easier <laughs> said than done. Oh, just play these roles and don't think about your right, right hand. Play really fast. And yeah, and put that left hand, put that chord form on and off without pausing. They're, they're like, okay, yeah. Well, fine, dude. Give me a, give me a week or yeah, two exactly. or three. So. Yeah, it's so it's so hard to give any any sort of general so what, tips. So what do you what do you practice? So those are the those are some tips that you give your students. If you're sitting down tomorrow trying to improve yourself, mm-hmm. what what do you have a specific routine that you that you work on? Do you just work on songs that you know you're going to have to perform? Yeah. Um, how do you improve yourself? It's it's sort of weird and awful how little I practice 
Frontier Ruckus songs because <laughs> we've been playing them for so long and, and we've, I've played them so many times I feel like I don't really need to practice them right. other than the occasional thing that they get a little rusty on. Or, um, if you notice that you keep messing up something specific right. on a performance, right. you'll have to, have to address it. I, I sort of have different modes when I, when I practice. I have like my, um, I sort of have my learning mode where I'm, I'm learning something by ear. I try to learn, recently I try to learn more and more by ear than anything else because I think I neglected that for too long and I, I think my ear has suffered because of it. Yeah. So um, I'll have, I'll do a day where I, I will learn a, an old time tune on Clawhammer. By ear, I'll put. I'll find yeah. a YouTube video, and not a banjo player. I'll find a fiddle player, fiddler, right, and learn it from that. Um, or I'll do a classic banjo piece, which which is like, which takes way longer. So that's like a like a four day project where I'm sitting in front of a computer and just learning that by ear. Or you know, when I can't figure it out, I'll go to standard notation because that's what all that stuff. Which is a whole whole another set whole, of challenges of, of putting the, yeah. the staff and, notation onto it, the banjo neck. Right, and yeah, you have to arrange it. You have to arrange it for the banjo neck. Um, I, I recently did a sort of a Travis style arrangement of a Joplin tune called "Weeping Willow" Ooh, that I I can't really play yet, but I've like sort of sort of arranged, um, and I'm, I'm still trying to perfect because to, to keep that going all the time yeah the alternating it's, it's so difficult um, but the travel style stuff if you can do it on banjo is is really cool I mean it's much it's much more in some ways suited to guitar because you have so much more bass yeah. available but so that's like I'll, I'll learn something by ear that's one of my modes and then I'll have my my straight up just like practice bluegrass songs that I already know sort of mode or bluegrass or old time and then I, I and that's kind of the mindlessly warming up mode yeah noodling yeah around yeah which which is great and then there's the like really and it gets almost stressful for me we were talking about this earlier just like playing roles to a metronome mode which it shouldn't be stressful <laughs> it should be relaxed throughout all of it but it's one of the things I struggle with is just like playing these roles faster and faster and keeping with, with my shoulders absolute precision yeah, keeping and my shoulders relaxed and breathing yeah. like do you have any like physiological issues i mean banjo is hugely heavy if you play four or five nights in a row are you are you feeling no, back stuff or? no wow. generally I, i've i've been okay with that awesome luckily but we don't play super long sets we play like an hour hour 15 okay. minutes at the most right. usually I've been okay with that. I my, my biggest issues are just tension, like uh, wrist and fingers yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, I guess I do have issues there where I just have to like a lot of times when I'm on tour and I'm I mean I'm playing multiple hours every day usually, but I I have to I have to like massage my hand because yeah. this muscle in between my oh yeah that one gets That's so the tense spot right yeah, there oh yeah. yeah and I just go to town <laughs> on it or um, sometimes up in up in here in my wrist these muscles if you move your if you move your fingers, you can see which muscles are moving, and those are the ones that are usually tight. Yep. And I'm usually trying to kind of rub those, massage those a little bit, and yeah. um, keep yourself limbered up. Yeah, excellent. All right, man. So while we're getting geeky with all that stuff, uh, is there anything else that you kind of like to pay attention to? I know, I know, banjos are banjo players are tinkerers. They switch bridges, picks. What uh, yeah. what else have you explored? Yeah. Yeah, how much how much time have you spent just staring at your picks to 
to like see what you could more mechanically. I I feel like I'm even constantly swiveling them on my finger to to kind of get them to to square up better in a way that's more comfortable. That's Um, that's something that I've that I've sort of struggled with in terms of in terms of swiveling them because I so for the longest time I I never changed the angle at all. I just kept them straight on my fingers. Okay, so they were super sort of at an angle with the strings. Yeah. And then and then at some point I don't know why I decided to to swivel them and and the way that I do it is if I hold my hand out in front of me with my palm up. If I hold my hand out with my palm up, I would twist them towards my thumb. Right. Yeah. Right? That's how mine are. Yeah, right. exactly. And so that when you do that it effectively squares your pickup with the string so it's more straight on or, yeah or assuming that your wrist on. is straight when you play right because right? you, you want to do those i don't know if you've seen jd crow play the, the it's claw. kind of a gnarly claw yeah right, right? i'm not into that no, yeah it doesn't seem good for your wrist and <laughs> it I, looks so painful it does but. yeah and i always say wrist straight and relaxed yeah. right and then but but here's the thing i feel like when you're more flush with the strings you get a different sort of harder pick feel on the strings right, right? It doesn't. Your picks don't slide off of the strings. In the same way, when you when you're flat picking, when you're playing with a plectrum, playing guitar, the the standard idea is that you're angling that pick. That's why those picks have a bevel on them. Yeah. So it slides over the the string. It's a different tone too. Different, different tone. Feel, different softer tone. tone right. Um, a little warmer. So this is something I've thought about a lot. Whether my pick should be perfectly square on with the string. And a nice sharp tone, easier to get a louder sound, or if I should be a little more at an angle where that pick slides off a little more easily. And I've been playing with that the past couple of weeks, seeing what I like, because it seems like, oh, maybe I can play my rolls a little faster if the pick's at an angle mm. and I'm sort of sliding off. But I, I'm still kind of. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I don't think I've boiled it down to any kind of strategy, such as sure. when I do this, I'm going to. Right come at the strings with this angle versus this other time. I think I'm just vaguely aware that it kind of feels different and there might right. be certain situations that I might want to switch and and now you're going to make me all self-conscious about. Don't be No, this is good. We got to we got to think about it. Yeah. I, I think I think overall I probably use more of the edge when I'm doing like single string stuff. I have I have trouble with speed. Yeah. In single string playing. Oh, me too, yeah. So, I feel like that might be when I switch to that but now that i'm thinking about it now, i don't i don't really know the angle of your instrument too changes the angle of the, yeah the sure does so if you're if your headstock is higher above your shoulder you're more, more squared up squared up yeah and if you're lower so you you could even you could even keep your picks in the same place but change Ooh, the angle yeah. of that so if you're going to play single string you could go down a little bit Ooh. play a little bit more looks like, like you're playing player. a b-bender telly or yeah, something exactly. like that yeah exactly so that that's, that's an interesting, interesting idea do you, you you play a blue chip, don't you? Yep. Uh, oh, I a- have this bastardized blue chip, actually. This is a blue chip with a Wigan pick oh. blade. Yeah, it's kind of pretty carve fancy. That Wigan? Did you carve it out? or? No, I think Wigan did. Oh, uh, did you send that to them to have them? This is going to be name drop city. <laughs> um, <laughs> this pick, I believe, belonged to Andy Hall. Who's in the Dobro player of the String Dusters? Grammy Award winning oh, String Dusters. I am aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I got it. So he has these made, and I think gave at least one or a couple to Mark Lavengood. Oh, cool. Dobro player who I've played with quite yeah. a bit. Yep, yep. 
Um, and he has passed one along to me. So nice. I would I would love to get more. I th- I, I think I, I like them. Can I just see it? I yeah. will not put it on. Is it, now is this a medium or a large? Oh, that's a large band. Yeah, that's. You've got you got big thumbs. So I. Why? Thank you. You know what they say about guys with big thumbs? Yes, they, they need big they have thumb picks. Strong thumbs. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah. How does it How does it sound? Because I've noticed. I like it. It's a. It's a. It might not suit your playing quite as much, given what you said about going for a mellower, rounder sound. Right. But I feel it's like a it gives sharper. a little more kind of an edgy attack. I've noticed uh, that the, sound. the blue chip is is warmer. It's pretty it's, soft. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of buttery Me almost. Too. It's got a nice nice feel to it. Yep. Which is nice, but if if you want to dig in on some bluegrass playing, sometimes you want a, a little edgier sound. And the, those are national style picks? These are the Showcase 1941s, and they're the cobalt-plated ones. Elderly, I don't know if Elderly is the only one that does that, but they definitely do it. Have these cobalt-plated, which apparently reduces the... The friction. The friction. I don't know if it's just... Showcase? Uh, what are, showcase. Yeah, see, they're cool. They're like nationally... Yeah, they're... They're bent pretty much right along my finger. They don't yeah. really extend too much. So I I bend mine too, but I mine are out more. Yeah. So yeah, almost I, everyone does it more like you. I don't know right. how well, I I've seen, up like this. I've seen. A, I feel like a lot of more, a lot more traditional players are are right right up next to their fingertip. Oh, maybe. okay, could be. I don't know. Something something about it just seems a little more disconnected. The the if I wore them so that they were higher up off the finger, totally get it. it would yeah. change the feel. I don't know. This this is a Masters of the Five String Banjo book thing because yeah, they have pictures really they have of all the photos. Yeah, which is a great I know, idea. So cool. I love that. And th- there's some you see some people who have them like almost bent into like they bend back on themselves. Yeah, um, I can't remember who who does it like that. I don't that, remember but either. I'd have to that's check. a crazy thought to me. It seems, but I, but I tell all my students the, the first thing when they get their picks and I and they, they bring them to me. I, I grab their picks from them and I say, well, you got to, this is something I think is important. A lot of, a lot of the way that you wear picks is very personalized, but I think it's important that you bend your picks up. So you're playing from, from a sort of curved finger position and, and no one can actually oh, yeah, see yeah. this, obviously on a podcast, but your finger should be curved in and sort of poised right over the strings. Because if you're, if they're not bent, you're sort of you're picking from your finger pad, kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I used to tell my students that it, your hand should be kind of in a position as if you're holding onto a bar to do like a pull up or something. Yeah. It needs to kind of have that curved right. pattern. It shouldn't, exactly. shouldn't be flat. Yeah, just kind of more of a relaxed uh, and curved so, position. Yeah, or your finger shouldn't be straight at all, right? right. Which also if true. you don't bend your picks, is something that you might want to play from more like a straight fingered position. Which isn't good because then you're coming from way further out, right? Yeah. That's a bunch of wasted movement. Yep. Uh, do you anchor both fingers? I do. Yeah, me too. Um, honestly, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably end up just anchoring the the ring. Oh, but I, you know, I read I read some of the the information that said if you don't anchor both, you're going to be a terrible banjo player for the rest of your life. <laughs> and um, so I got used to doing it that way. So I still do it that way. Yeah, I do but too. It, but that was actually very difficult for me to do. And in retrospect, I don't know how much I really think it helps. But I, I see. For for me, I feel like it's a fifty fifty thing. It's either both or just the pinky. Okay. Like you, I see a lot of banjo players that are just the pinky, and that ring finger floats and moves with. And a lot of my students err towards that side of things. Which I see now that okay. you're saying that, I'm I'm actually remembering that I was just the pinky, and the way I taught myself to anchor both was just anchoring 
Oh, the yeah. ring finger and that because when that's the only place of stability that you have, you right. get more used to anchoring that. And then finally, just interesting added the pinky back. That was the way I trained myself to do it. Because because when I see just a lot of beginner students just anchor that ring finger, and then that pinky is tense, like it looks super tense for whatever it's reason. Tense or it's laying on the bridge, which right? Is, which is killing your tone, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I say either both or just the pinky, and and for whatever reason, a lot of people sort of tend towards just the pinky. I've always been both for some reason. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember ever like really specifically thinking about this stuff when I was learning. Yeah, I wish I had. I mean, I it don't. apparently works for you, right? A yeah. little bit. Yeah. 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 Um. So hey, man, I've I've wasted enough of your time, but I really love hearing you play. Um. You were kind of Thanks, saying man. that you've been working on some of these classic banjo tunes. Yeah. Where do you where do you get these and what kind of players? I, I have a feeling that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with this style so, or this, you know, this category of music. Yeah. So, classic when when you when you say classic banjo, um it's referring to sort of very specific era or style of of playing. It's generally the eras time-wise is sort of the late 1800s, maybe the last two decades of the 1800s to the um, to about the the sort of jazz era, you know, nineteen nineteen teens to the nineteen at the latest, maybe the nineteen twenties. I could be a little off on on the dates here. So, who would but, be like the primary reference points? Like, if so people wanted to seek out recordings, in terms who are of, they looking for? In terms of players, there was um, there was a guy named Paul Van Epps. Is it Fred Van Epps? Fred Van Epps. <laughs> oh God. Well. Uh, there was a guy named Fred Van Epps. Yeah, I think it was Fred Van Epps. I'm trying to think of the other players from the era. Can't really think of the players. I think more of the the composers. Okay. Um, there's a there's um and it, a lot of it you a lot of it's based in sort of the ragtime style of playing, right? So um, there's the a really famous classic banjo player or a composer named Joe Morley. Um, there's A.J. White. There's some there's some just straight up ragtime piano pieces that have been translated into Joplin stuff. And Joplin. Yeah. Um, there's a few others that I can't think of right now, but um, it was, it was at a time where banjo was trying to be, or people were trying to bring banjo more into the aristocracy and make it more of a fancy white person instrument, which is like, you know, a weird sort of historically uncomfortable thing, but that's what they were, that's what they were trying to do. But they were writing this beautiful music for it. And, and many, of, many, many of the pieces were written by African Americans. Um, or some of them were, um, are you familiar with Bill Evans, the banjo player? Yes. Um, so he, he, he does some classic banjo stuff. Right. right. And the other way he describes it, he has a, a few intros to some of the songs that he plays and it, he introduces at least one of them as, you know, this would be a, a, a piece that a man would play to his love interest as she, comes into his parlor as he woos her with exactly. his classic banjo. He's, he's courting he's been her. Practicing, right? Yeah. And these are like these are these are you know relatively at the time they were sort of fancy instruments. SS Stewart. Um, yeah. What's the other one? Fairbanks mm-hmm. was was a big maker. Cole. SS something Cole. I'm terrible. If there's any classic banjo people that are listening to if anyone's listening they're just to horrified. this, yeah. they're just they're so <laughs> angry with me. I apologize. But but I started hearing this stuff and I got I got really into it. A lot of it's in um, a lot of it's in, in a, what like drop a plectrum C. tuning, kind plectrum of? tuning, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but it would have been played usually on a on a nylon stringed banjo open back with fingers with finger fingers, style right, yeah um so to play it on a steel stringed instrument with picks is maybe a little sacrilegious but there there's all sorts of people on youtube playing it that it, um playing classic banjo that are that are really brilliant there's this amazing old british dude who whose youtube handle is the really nice man <laughs> <laughs> who I whom I've e- emailed with a little bit just because like just does, like, does hey, he live up to the to the moniker? Super, super nice, very nice. Okay, he's, I think he's I think he's maybe having a surgery soon or recovering from a sur- surgery now. So I hope he's doing well. Yeah, very nice man. This uh, really we're, nice we're wishing man. you well, man. Shout out to you, dude. So you've been so kind as to let me borrow here your your ohm open back that you kind of mentioned before, and you were showing me earlier some chords to one of these classical pieces. So you're in the mood to. Yeah, let's to tr- try to stumble our way through one of these. <laughs> let's try it. Let the sacrilege continue. Yeah, let's see what happens. Okay. Picks on steel strings and and Joe Morley. Open backs, resonators. Just rolling in his grave. Yeah. Maybe. God bless him. Um, I wish I could remember who wrote this. This one this one's called the Sunflower Dance. It's sort of a um um kind of a beginner classic banjo piece. Good place to start. So it's easy, that's why I'm that's why I'm trying it. never know how fast to play things <laughs> all right so however one, fast you think it should go then maybe touch slower one, two, three. Just, just barely. Sorry, all classic banjo fans. We we're doing our best here. Well, man, groovy man. So hey, tell everyone where to find information about you if they've been so dazzled by your your tales of uh, <laughs> of banjoing and your your awesome tips. Well, let's do like websites or, or twitters or Instagrams. What? So yeah, all of the all of the social media things are just Frontier Ruckus or Frontier Google Ruckus. Frontier Ruckus or FrontierRuckus.com or um, my my personal like banjo lesson website is MichiganBanjo.com all somehow. Right. So that one is somewhat easy. Nice, but yeah. And hey, let's let's not ignore the the other big elephant in the room. Your name is Davy Jones, but but you're not the guy from the monkeys, right? I'm not no. I'm Nor just, are you the guy who has the locker. I'm not that, that guy. Like, pirates go to. I'm not the guy. That, pirates. That I'm not the guy there? that died last year. David Bowie. Was, oh yeah. Actual name was Davy Jones. Are you serious? Yeah, he was David Jones. Wow, this is really educational. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know Matt Jones? Do you know his music? 
You ever Matt heard of him? Jones. Who's he? he actually lives in Ypsilanti. He's like a he's like a uh, local folk superstar. Superstar. He's a really good like yeah. I feel like I know that guitar person. player. Okay. His music's okay. great. His real name is David Matt Jones. Okay, so you guys all there's a lot kind of know each other. There's lots of us. But speaking of the monkeys, everyone thinks I look like uh, Mike Nesmith anyway. So <laughs> you sort of do. Know. Maybe we just need to embrace it. I think so, so. Yeah, awesome. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks a lot. I think this was a really successful first episode. Yeah, and, dude, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, great luck on your tour and with all things banjo. I'll see you again. All right, soon. And there you have it. We've made it to the end of the very first episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Once again, my name is Keith Billick, and you can find me at banjopodcast.com or email me with any questions, suggestions, or comments. I love hearing from you. The email address is pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep picking. Keep picking.